0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 22 of the Trap Rock 101 podcast from Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns. Thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, This episode features an interview with uh, Jerry Gontang, a uh, musician, singer, songwriter uh, from San Diego, California. Jerry is is someone I've known of for a long, long time. I, I talk about that in the interview. He was actually probably one of the first uh, independent Trap Rock artists I knew of um, because of a mutual friend we had in the Northwest Arkansas area where I'm originally from. Um, he's very interesting in the fact that unlike a lot of the the quote foundational members of the Trap Rock community, the people who were doing this in the early 90s, um, he never really got into writing and recording and promoting his own original music. Uh, his band, Stars on the Water, Did put out one album, but a lot of the songs on that were written by other people in the band, uh, most notably Mike Broward. So we talk about that a little bit, um, and I have to be honest with y'all, this was a fairly difficult interview for me um, because two reasons. Um, A, I have very little personal uh, knowledge of Jerry. I mean, I've heard lots about him from lots of people. Uh, We've been friends on Facebook for a long time. But uh, I've had almost no personal interaction with Jerry, um, and certainly none in like the last five or six years. Um, He doesn't travel a lot. He doesn't get off the West Coast a lot, doesn't, you know, come uh, to the mid-Texas or the Midwest or or the East Coast very much. So uh, I I just don't spend that much time. I've I've never spent time around him. I think I've met the man twice and— spend a grand total of three or four minutes talking with him before this interview. So that makes the interview a lot harder when you don't have any kind of common ground to start on. Uh, you know, not common ground, but uh, past experiences to, to, to kind of lean on. Um, the other thing is, I mentioned the fact that Jerry really doesn't have um, any original music. Or You know, talking about original music, asking about songs and the recording process is a nice place to start interviews, especially if you don't have uh, any any real personal foundation to work off of. So uh, it was a little bit difficult to interview to uh, prepare for. I actually called up Bob Carwin and uh, asked him uh, for some ideas about things I could talk about with Jerry. But all in all, I'm very happy with the way this interview turned out. Um, people out on the West Coast uh, started with Bob Carwin, but other musicians and other friends I have on the West Coast just worship Jerry Gonteng. Um He really is uh, the guy on the West Coast. the original guy on the west coast the first guy that was playing jimmy buffett music and tropical style music um and playing for the parrot head clubs and promoting the lifestyle um uh you know a lot of people who are fairly new to the community probably don't know a lot about him um I, i mean i'll be honest with you i've been around for a long time and i didn't know that much about him uh just just because again the lack of original music means uh he doesn't talk about himself nearly as much as singer-songwriters do. Um, also, I think Jerry's a pretty, uh, from what I can tell, a pretty humble guy. So he's not putting a lot of stuff out there that that makes uh, makes you take notice of him. He's just a uh, hard-working musician who puts on a good show, and people on the West Coast have appreciated that for a long, long time. I was very, very happy to get to talk with him, and uh, hopefully we can do a gig together sometime soon. So uh, anyway, uh, don't forget to find us online, piratesandpoets.net. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. All those good places. Uh, please share the podcast with folks if you uh, are so inclined. I really enjoyed doing these interviews and uh, got some some fun stuff coming up for you. But for now, let's focus on this episode and uh, please enjoy my conversation with the King of West Coast Trap Rock, Mister Jerry Gonteng. Uh
1: I got into Buffett after I got out of the Air Force. I was in the Air Force from 1968 to 72. And um, I went to a college concert at San Diego State. Um, it was a place called The Back Door to see a friend of mine who was opening for this guy named Jimmy Buffet. And uh, I watched my friend play. And then um, Buffett came out and just wowed me. I mean, I was uh, in enamored. I-, I fell in love with the guy and um, uh, followed him ever since. So that was pretty much my whole experience with the Buffett thing. And then... Of course, I was in the music. I was in a band overseas. And then um, that carried over into after I got out of the service and uh, played in bands with my brothers and uh, with friends around and then um, uh, took off from there. That's pretty much where my music started.
0: So let's go back to Buffett in 72. I mean, that was like well before Margaritaville or Changes in Latitudes. That's Yes, and that's even before like white sport coat, isn't it?
1: Well, that's oh. right around when white yeah. sport coat came out. I saw him, and then I found out that there was an album that he had. Uh, in fact, my brother had it. I didn't even know he had it. Um, what was it? the the whole thing with, with Buffett was he was just getting out of the college circuit and going on tour with a band. That was his big thing, his big claim to fame. I think he had two more uh, colleges to go to, and then he was going to start. Um, so, and and he it was great because. He used to start and finish his concerts here in San Diego and we got two concerts a year, which was absolutely, you know, amazing. And I think I paid like $3 for front row seats or something like that. So it was pretty cool. Wow.
0: And you are a San Diego area native, correct?
1: Absolutely. Born and raised right here.
0: Got you. Well, you know, the reason I really want to talk to you is because as I've talked to, uh, to different folks, everybody, uh, you know, I live in Texas and like everybody West of Texas, uh, cannot stop talking about you and they talk about you in, in ways.
1: I hope it's good
0: <laughs> in ways that, that people over here in this part of the country talk about Jerry Diaz and Sonny yeah. Jim in that you were, you know, on the ground floor, late eighties, early nineties, when the period clubs were getting started. And, you know, one of the, one of the bedrock entertainers that people in that part of the country could count on, I guess, in your part of the country at the time, probably, you know, there probably wasn't as many as there was over here in this part of the world. So, uh, I'd like to hear you talk about that, like, you know, uh, how you uh, obviously you've been a Parrothead in the sense that you love Jimmy Buffett's music,
1: Mm.
0: but uh, sometimes people who love Jimmy Buffett's music don't necessarily fit the Parrothead club for different reasons. So what did you stumble upon Parrothead clubs and and the circuit of concerts that comes with that?
1: Well, I've been following Buffett, like I said, since 1972. And uh, there was a place up the coast here uh, called Irvine. And um, that was where his big concerts used to start. And um, that was long before Parrothead Clubs. I mean, we're talking like uh, 78, and then 78 through like about 88, 89, somewhere in there. Um, that, was, that was it. I mean, there was no such thing as the Parrothead. I was a Jimmy Buffett fan. And then the Parrothead Clubs came along, I think it was 1988 had been somewhere around there. Somebody uh, decided that they liked that name and that we needed to have clubs. So, um, you know, Scott Nickerson decided that that's how it was going to be. He started the Paradise of Paradise. And I was in the right place at the right time because I had been, I knew all of Jimmy Buffett's songs. I mean, I, I, every song on every album and uh, up to that point. And that's where being able to play all these clubs came in. I was the only game in town, basically who could do all the Buffett stuff. And that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody who could be a Jimmy Buffett covered person.
0: Yeah. So what did, what did the clubs like San Diego? I guess that's your home club. When did that club get started? Do you have a ballpark
1: idea? 25 years ago, I, I think it was, uh, what would that be? 96. Yeah. mid Midnight. Like yeah. Um, I was at a, uh, street fair and I saw some guy had a t-shirt on since San Diego parody club. And I said, wait, what's that all about? I mean, I'd heard about the paired Heads and I asked them and they were having, they'd had their very first meeting like the week before and they were going to have another one uh, in three weeks, you know, monthly. So uh, I went to the second meeting and um, joined and that's how I got started here in San Diego. Uh, the band thing really, there was a, a group called uh, Buffed Out that was uh, Tim Flannery. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a baseball player uh, turned uh, coach for the San Diego Padres and then the San Diego, uh, San Francisco Giants.
0: Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yes.
1: Okay. He uh, started a band, and a good buddy of mine, Gary Seiler, uh, was asked to join. And then uh, this lady named Sharon Hancock, who is now Sharon Shoemaker, um, were part of that band. And when Tim Flannery left, they asked me to join the group. So I I, I joined. It was it was me in the band for a, a, about a little less than a year, and then the three of us, Gary, Sharon, and myself. Uh, we're buffed out for about three years and or two years, and then um, that broke apart. And we became Coco Loco, which was another band. It's another generation of, of Buffett cover things. And then, and, and like I said, I knew so much Jimmy Buffett music that, um, and and it was so easy to learn that putting a band together and learning this stuff was great. Um, Coco Loco was a band that we had. Where I think we were six piece and at times an eight piece. Wow. Yeah. So it was a fun band. It was a good group.
0: And what were the, uh, what were the functions and events that you were playing back then? What was on the West coast?
1: Well, the anniversary party here in San Diego was one of the big ones. Um, mostly there was uh, Dick's last resort downtown had um, what they would call uh, Island time. I think it was Island time festivals. And we were, because we had a steel drummer and that kind of, put us in that yeah you know that that call them up right now and that's where we got our our foot in the door so um and then the manager down there liked us he liked us a lot so we would about once a month we go down and do that um there really weren't any events uh, when i started um, i mean like i said it was what the year after the uh, San Diego parody club got started they did their anniversary uh down at the beach and that was you know the first one you know, years ago now and I've been to every one of those and then Orange County started one. And then um, I think it was Phoenix started one right after that, uh, the clubs I'm talking about. And then um, Orange County kind of uh, didn't blow apart, but they were too far apart from where um, Orange County and Los Angeles clubs were. So they, it was a bigger, I think there was a 50 mile radius or something like that that you could couldn't have two clubs together so they started the los angeles Paradise club and of course there was the southern california Paradise club which a lot of people don't know about and that was really the very first club but it was i mean their uh membership was like three people <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> a, one
0: of those little and, bitty ones
1: and a dog <laughs> 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 that's that's what their whole thing claim to fame was and so uh, when all these other clubs got started then you know the events came around um i started an event um it was call, it was going to be called Fins to the West, and which is what they have now. But um, we were going to do it over on Catalina Island, which is off the coast of uh, 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 up the coast anyway, um, off the coast of uh, Los Angeles, and um, it fell apart. And we had all these people who still wanted to go, but no place to go. So I, a friend of mine owns a bar up in Las Vegas, a place called Tommy Rockers. And I called him up and said, Hey, I've got like 300 people that want to party and we have no place to go. What if I bring them to your place? Well, of the 300, probably 180 to 200 showed up. Wow. And yeah, it was a huge, it was absolutely huge. And we changed the name and we called it, um, it's midnight and I'm not famous yet, which is a Jimmy Buffett song. Right. And, um, from there, I started noticing that all these other clubs all of a sudden were starting to have events named after Jimmy Buffett songs. And uh, just, it was it was fun to watch happen. And because, once again, we were the, uh, I don't know what you call it, so we, we were the only game in town. Um, we got the call, especially as Coco Loco. And then as Stars on the Water, um, when Coco Loco broke up, that became another a configuration of myself and um, a couple of guys from... Um, Coco loco and we became stars on the water and we were a power trio bass drums and guitar and all three of us sang
0: yeah so when you say you know that you were a buffett cover guy uh and we're talking mid 90s here that time frame Mm -hmm. three hour show four hour show what was the percentage that truly were jimmy buffett songs i mean i'm sure like you were mixing some beach boys and that kind of stuff into but i mean how much of it was truly straight ahead buffett
1: i could do i at that time i probably could have done like six hours of jimmy buffett songs Damn. Um, yeah, I had. I, I've forgotten more than I know now. But <laughs> um, the deal with that was that uh, I knew a lot of music because I was in a band that played a lot of. Uh, uh, it was a comedy, a stand-up comedy band, basically. But we started out with just regular dinner music because we always played in restaurants and bars, and uh, then we would get into talking to the audience, and then we would get into uh, having fun with the people, interacting with them, and then we turned into this blue humor group. That was just raunchy. I mean, you know, we were we were X-rated, definitely X-rated, and uh, the bars loved that because we 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 drew standing room only crowds. So uh, at the end of every year, we would get calendars in the mail that. that was all the bars and restaurants that we played at like anywhere from six to 10 a year. And they say, fill in the dates that you want. So we'd have to go through and fill in all the <laughs> days. So it was pretty cool. Um, but from that group, I, I learned, you know, the current music, which was 25, 30 years worth of music. And I would intersperse that with Buffett songs. So I'd probably play five Buffett songs and then do a, a regular song. And then another Buffett song. Um, I had some originals, but they were to me and, and i Still believe this that they weren't worth what I considered to be uh, recording worthy. So I just never played them. I'd, I'd play them for friends, and they'd always tell me, "Oh, that's a great song. You should record it." Nah, nah. Uh, like I said, I'm a fo- I'm a folk singer from way back when. Uh, you know, I cut my teeth on the Kingston Trio. <laughs>
0: yeah. So
1: that tells you something. And folk singers have that 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 knack or that ability or, or the need and and want to to uh, share people and current music with people to, and keep that going, that whole uh, feeling of that genre or whatever it is that you're playing at the time alive. And uh, that's what I do. I mean, that's basically what I do.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want to come back and talk about the original music or lack thereof, but first uh, you know, you're most everybody I've interviewed for this podcast. I've had some kind of personal connection with, in many cases, they're good friends, but uh, like I said, I, I think I've maybe met you twice as in shook your hand and said, Hey, nice show. Kind of, uh, <laughs> So I called up my buddy Bob Car one day and I said, "Bob, I'm interviewing <laughs> Jerry Gontang. I need some. I need something to work off of
1: here." Oh, uh, this is gonna be great because <laughs> I
0: don't. I don't think I realized um, I, when I started digging in the last couple of days. I realized how much stars. The stars on the water music that I know is really mm-hmm. Mike Broward songs, not. Not Jerry. Mm-hmm. So, I, right. a lot of the things I kind of thought I was going to talk about, I was like, I really can't talk about that now. So, I uh-huh. called Bob, and he told me that uh, your O Ridge project, the the comedy project you were talking about, uh,
1: uh, yeah, that's the one
0: that he saw y'all in San Diego area when he was in college. You went out there for spring break, right? And and just loved it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, you know, you talk about it being X rated. I'm going. This may explain a whole lot about Carwood right here. <laughs> um, but he told me that the next year he planned his spring break to San Diego around your schedule he found out where you were going to be and and he planned a whole trip all the way across the country from boston i've heard come that story your, yeah
1: i've heard that story <laughs> yeah uh, it, it was fun i mean i i don't know that i ever met bob i saw a picture the other day on facebook a friend of mine posted and we used to do this it's an acapella song called a uh, swing low sweet chariot and we have all of these different hand jive motions to it and uh, <laughs> we would pick people at random out of the audience to come up and sing with us And of course, we'd get them a shot every time we did something, you know. So by the time the song was over, we'd have had, drank maybe eight shots.
0: (laughs) So... He also mentioned the shot wheel to me. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. That was another fun thing that we used to do. Um, But there's a picture of us doing a sweet, that swing low thing. And I think it's Bob Carwin, but I, I'm not sure I I have to send it to him and ask him. Um, The drink wheel was a a promotional thing. That was one of the deals wherever we played, Like I said, we could draw, you know, a standing room only uh, people out the door waiting to get in uh, groups of people. I mean, it would crowds, large crowds of people. And we played large venues too. So you'd sit, Two hundred people, and we'd take a break. They would turn that over as much as they could and let other people in. But um, it was a promotional thing that we had. Uh, w- it was a, a wheel, and it was sectioned off, quartered off, and we had four different drinks on the wheel. It was uh, tequila shooters, kamikazes, orange crushes, and I think what's called a gorilla tit. And um, yeah, those are nasty. Uh, that's that green chartreuse stuff, and that will just it'll melt the the uh, vinyl on your amplifier. We found so anyway. <laughs> make a long story longer. Um, We'd get a woman up out of the uh, audience and we'd have her spin the wheel and then she would get a free drink. And that's what the drink would go on sale for 15 minutes. And back in those days, you could sell a tray load of of shots and which was probably 25 shots. Uh, You could sell them for like a dollar each and make a profit. So, and the bars love that. They would make the drinks in the bucket loads (laughs) <laughs> Literally in the bucket loads in those big gallon containers and, and pour them whenever when the drink shot came up. Um, after a while, we started at this thing called body shots and it was a tequila. Uh, we'd, and we'd stop it on tequila purposefully. And, <laughs> and we had this routine where we get the, the, the woman would bite the lime. Or one of us would hold the lime in our teeth. The other one um, would put the salt like on our neck and a woman would lick the salt off our neck, shoot the tequila, and then bite the lime out of our mouths. Oh. You know? And, you know, today that, that is that is so sexist, it's crazy. Um, that's my Shannon that you see back there. Oh, uh, sorry. No, you no, no, you're fine, okay. hon. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, that, that was my wife. She just came in. Um, hi. And, and uh, John says hi. 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 <laughs> so... Uh, You know, that that is so sexist these days. I mean, politically incorrect as you can get. And that was us. I mean, we we did we broke every rule that you possibly could. In fact, I think that's probably why they they started writing those laws. Um, But the thing is is that we could draw the crowds. People love the the humor and and being able to forget about life for a while. And that's what we did.
0: Yeah. So that was O-Ridge and then Coco Loco. Were you doing both those projects at the same time because they were separate or did they not uh, o- overlap much?
1: Well, Oridge continued on through the Coco Loco and Stars in the Water things. Um, my partner, Jeff and I, uh, he passed away about four years ago. Um, he and I continued on until he passed. So, I mean, it's been going 50, 50 years. Wow. So, Yeah. 55, 45 years, something like that worth of entertainment that we used to do and still doing the same stuff that we used to do. Just tame a little tamer. Yeah. And, um, But Coca-Loca came around uh, just out of need. People wanted to have Jimmy Buffett stuff. And Sharon and I knew most of the the, uh, Jimmy Buffett stuff already. She was there. Uh, We found Mike, um, actually had another guitar player, a guy named Joe Rathburn, who's a phenomenal guitar player and singer. He liked the island, the idea of Jimmy Buffett and joined our group. Um, And then uh, we had a friend of Mike's, who uh uh, of joe's who uh was our drummer and then i i knew a friend of mine who uh was a guitar player singer but i told him i need a steel drummer and he said well i'll learn and he woodshedded (laughs) for about six weeks and came out the other side uh a robert greenwich player it was absolutely phenomenal and uh we had a percussionist a guy named Tony Irvine, who is basically called Tony Bologna. If you look up Tony okay. Bologna on, 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 the, in a, you know, on Google, you'll find him. He, um, <laughs> he was a, a stand-up comedian, played over in Catalina for years at El Gallion. And um, great songwriter, too. Uh, I do a couple of his songs. And, um, and then we had a percussionist also. So that was the Six of Us. And the thing that we – I mean, I really pride myself in this – uh, we had a friend of ours, a guy named Jackson Quigley, who basically was a manager uh, for us. And he was able, because of his connections, to get the Coral Reefers to come play with us. And we are I, I don't know of anybody before us that actually had the Reefers playing with them. So I, I think we may have been the first band that had that, especially with the Parrothead thing coming along, right. uh, that drew, I mean, incredible amounts of people. So uh, the first encounter that we had with that was with um, the horn section. It was uh, uh, T.C. Mitchell and Amy Lee and Johnny Lovett. And the three of them played with us up in Los Angeles at, a, at a, one of those uh, dueling uh, piano bars. But we probably had, I don't know, 150 people there because that's all it would hold. But we yeah. had another 150 to 200 that wanted to come see us, but they couldn't. So um that's you know I, I guess I, I like to think that I was on the starting grounds of that or the ground floor when that took off, and then of course uh, I played with every I played with all of Buffett's uh, players everybody. Um, I used to open for Mac McInally when they would play at Irvine uh, at a place called the Coach House in um, San Juan Capistrano, and I I guess because I was the only Buffety kind of guy um, that was playing at the time they they wanted me to come up open for him so that's what I did uh i mean you know, i'd entertain the parrot heads with a bunch of jimmy buffett songs and then mac would come out and play but i got to know mac pretty good um and then like i said at, through the course of the years uh played with most of the uh parrot uh coral reefers which is fun to find really good
0: yeah they're uh i've got to work with i oh, probably about half the band at this point and they are a great bunch of people to work with they and are. nice Nice folks and deal with this craziness way better than I think I would if I was in their shoes. For sure,
1: you know, I tell you, when this pandemic hit, I didn't know what I was going to do because I mean, this is my livelihood. That's all I do is play music, and all the venues had shut down. And the week that it shut down, a friend of mine started this online open mic thing, and I tried it, liked it, and I thought, well, I should be doing this. So I just like the week after. Um, everything shut down I started going online and at that time I had probably anywhere from 100 to 150 people that would sit and watch me play you know which was kind of crazy yeah and then over the course of the months now it's down I mean I got my 11 following uh, followers you know (laughs) (laughs) that like to come on and watch me play but you know the numbers will go up to maybe 30 or 40 and drop back down again but I don't I'm not really about that I started this whole thing to give back to people. I, I didn't do it for the money because this is not a, gr- a good way to make a living, uh, performing online. So I, yeah. I did it because I had decades of, of support that I needed to give back. And this was a great way for me to do it. So I would play for, you know, maybe two or three songs. And then I realized, well, I could do a whole hour.
0: Right. And
1: so I started doing an hour and I played uh, a regular job on Tuesday, Thursdays and Sundays. So I started playing Tuesday, Thursdays and Sundays when I first started. And then. I cut that back to just Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then now it's just Tuesdays because um, the, it, the internet is just saturated with people that you can watch. I mean, I have people, there's four or five people that, you know, are, are monster names that are playing while I'm playing. Indigo girls are playing while I'm playing, you know, that's, that's how good this has gotten now.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, people, uh, people have gotten really good at the whole live streaming, the the sitting right. on your couch with your phone right it'll get it done but there's a lot of people that are you know really invested a lot of time and money into it and uh yeah Yeah. hopefully it's going to be you know we're going to we're going to get away from that soon to get back to real live gigs i hope
1: well i've actually started Uh, i played last night at a place down in Chula Vista called the galley which is where one of my uh i guess steady jobs have been for the last uh i don't 20 years um often i play every other week down there basically with stars on the water the current configuration and then, um, yeah, it's like with just the last two weeks, this has happened. I, I got a call to go down and play at a place called Seaport Village, which is right on San Diego Bay. It's a, a great big uh, business community. Uh, and there's an area on the food court where they set uh, musicians up. There's a stage there. Yeah. And they let us play. And we're basically just background music. And, and I have gotten to be that way now. I, I'm, I'm more of a, a Muzak Guy, you know, I, but the thing of it is, is, I don't, I don't play to be loud or try to be, you know, crazy. Uh, I, I just do it so that I'm, I'm subliminal more than anything, and I am amazed at the amount of people that come up to me and put money in my uh, guitar case, first of all, and second of all, the, the compliments that I get for the repertoire that I have, and uh, you know, just being able to hear live music again, which was, it's good to hear that, you know, and was, especially when you've been cooped up in your house for the last uh, you know, eleven months
0: yeah we all have been a you know california i don't claim to know everything that's going on out there but i know y'all have been much more locked down than we've been here in texas or the folks in florida have been
1: so yeah governor newsom really uh put the uh I don't know what you put the brakes on when it came to yeah. people socializing. Uh, that thing I was, I was going to get to uh, uh, about the uh, whole pandemic thing. And it, the thought just went away again. Sorry. I, I just, it's okay. I, I started going somewhere with it, but um, Oh, I know what it was the recording thing. Um, uh, the live streaming thing on Facebook. Uh, I did it to give back and I, I didn't do it. I wasn't doing it for the pay and people were kept asking me, you know, where's your tip jar? Where, where, how do we get money to you? So I put, that I got a, a PayPal account and I, I put that on there, but I don't push it. I, I, I basically, like I said, I'm giving back to what people have given me uh, for the last 40 years. And, and that's the least I could do. And if I could have somebody forget about life for uh, 20 minutes or, you know, four songs, that's great. You know, I, I'm, I've done my job.
0: There you go. And you've been entertaining people for a long, long time. Uh,
1: yeah. Longer than I can remember. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I was in a, um, a rock and roll band. I, I, I was overseas in Turkey um, for three and a half years uh, in the air force. And as it turned out, a, a friend of mine had a guitar and a bass that he brought over with him. So we would switch back and forth because I played bass. Um, I just messed around with it and we formed a rock and roll a band. And I mean, we're talking heavy metal. I don't know how heavy it is. You know, Ozzy Osbourne and and, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, those kinds of that, that era of music. And then on the breaks, I would go and uh, grab the acoustic guitar and do um, James Taylor or Joni Mitchell or stuff, you know, the folky music that people like also. Mm -hmm. So I, I kept, that was kind of, you know, uh, sharpening my pencil <laughs> for the entertainment world and that kind of helped out is that we uh entertained the uh, turkish american associations over there so it was that we were bridging the gap between the turks and americans and as goodwill uh through music kind of thing
0: yeah and that music is universally understood
1: so. yes it is yeah and that was it was fun to watch the uh, turkish kids really get off on the american rock and roll music you know, <laughs> it was just really great <laughs>
0: Hey, y'all. This is Kitty Steadman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So I want to ask you about, uh, Tim Flannery. That's, that's his okay. last name, right? Flannery,
1: right? Flannery. Yes. Right.
0: So he was a major league baseball player, now right. a major league coach. Uh, right. how did he get hooked into playing music somewhere along and, the way he, music? <laughs>
1: well, the, somewhere along the way he and Jimmy Buffett became very good friends and I had, I had everything to do with baseball. Um, and, uh, he started covering, uh, he's a great songwriter too, which is you, you look up, you look up his, uh, uh song list too because he's got a, a bunch of great songs um but i somewhere he just realized that that would be a good thing would they have jimmy buffett music um and, and be a part of that up and coming thing as far as uh, musicians were concerned and then because of his name he could draw a pretty good crowd
0: bet spe- especially on the west coast yeah
1: yeah absolutely so uh what what
0: time frame were we talking about when you kind of made the transition from coco loco to stars in
1: the water we were coco Loco for i think four years 99 through 2003 and then um we kind of had a parting of the ways i was going to go do a single thing and then um mike and randy the drummer and the guitar player came to me and said well why don't we try and form a power trio and see what we can do with it and so We started and and we were, all three of us were amazed at how uh, well it worked. Uh, One of the things that we found out that really helped us a lot was we um, tuned our guitars, our instruments down a half step. So the guitar and bass down a half step and the sonic presence of that half step down really fattened up the sound. I mean, incredible amount of, of, of just making it sound large Yeah. So we got away with a lot of stuff with just a bass guitar and drums and uh, made it work. And that was, we stayed the trio probably until 2008 or 2009, somewhere in there. And then um, Mike went away. He moved away to Nashville. And so I I needed to, and and Randy was gone by then. And so I thought about doing another solo thing. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> that always seems to get interrupted, but okay, that's all right. Um, I called a couple of friends, Mike gave me some names of people. And, uh, I found a couple of players who wanted to play. And I thought, well, you know what? I have this guy who sings like a, you know, just a world-class singer and plays bass better than I could even think to. Uh, so I went back to playing acoustic guitar, found a really good, um, electric player and, uh, a drummer friend of Mike's came in and sat in with us one night and the, the guy's a a jazz musician and he can play anything. So he just stepped right into where we were and, and, you know, didn't have, didn't no must, no fuss and played right along with us. And uh, he became the drummer and has been ever since.
0: I think the first time I saw you play, Fins to the West, I think it was two thousand eight, and of course it was Fins to the West. So maybe y'all did something special, but uh, Mike was on lead guitar and you were on acoustic. It was a four piece that night, I think, if I'm remembering right.
1: That's probably correct. Yeah, it would have been Guy on bass, um, Gary on drums, me on the acoustic, and Mike on electric.
0: Yeah, there was a so I I was president of the Northwest Arkansas Parade Club, Fayetteville, Arkansas, oh, cool. from uh, two thousand four to two thousand eight, and uh, one of the first. Uh, people who joined the club uh was from san diego from west coast somewhere and uh you know he talked about y'all about stars Mm -hmm. in the water and jerry gontang and uh before i went to party girl for the first time i knew more about y'all probably than i did like (laughs) study jim and jim morris because this guy named craig atterbury like never talked about anything except except Yeah. yeah Uh, Stars of the Water and Jerry gunting, So I was uh, excited to see y'all play that first time. And y'all were like, I came away from that show thinking, man, like that's the most rocked up Buffett music I've ever heard in my life.
1: So. You know, that's another thing that I pride are, uh the, the, the band members that I play with, they are all class players. Uh, right now I'm playing with three uh, A-listers. I mean, these, these guys are first chairs uh, in the music scene in San Diego. And I don't know how I I got lucky enough to have them in the band, but they're, they're there. And um, it, it's it's taking songs apart and putting them back together again, like we want to play them. That's how we've kind of yeah held our music scene, and uh, we're doing that to this day. I mean, we we, we just find the song that we like, we pull it apart. You know, how would it sound this way? You know, how would Steely Dan play the Beatles? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, and and it's just you know, you throw a dart and see what happens there. You throw something, some spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks
0: yeah and uh so how did y'all come up with the, i mean obviously i'm guessing it came from buffett's cover of stars on the water is that where the right. name came from
1: uh yes yes it did uh we were actually going to call ourselves the last band standing oh and that'd have been cool it would have been except that i i went out and I, silly me. I went online and I found uh, about a half dozen of the bands called last band standing. So I I didn't want to get into any kind of legalities about it. So I've just (laughs) figured, well, um, the drummer uh, at the time really liked the song. And he said, well, what's called so stars in the water and that that stuck. So it was good. I was also in a group with the steel drummer. I liked the sound of the steel drums and acoustic guitar. And when you have an acoustic guitar, you uh, hook it up to effects like a chorus. Mm-hmm. And a reverby sound, it, and then you've got two g- powerful vocals. Um, that, that duo right there is enough to entertain large crowds. And yeah. uh, like I said, I was in a band and we called ourselves Left Coast, and we had a good run for about five years. And then I got a cease and desist from uh, some guys who actually had the name before us by about six months. Wow. And yeah, I know, and I didn't have any claims. Saying that, you know, we, we've had this, they weren't working at the time, um, but the guy makes um, the travel cases for like guitars and uh, music equipment, you know, those hard shell cases. Yeah, yeah. That's, and he was a member of Left Coast and um, the steel drummer wanted to have a case made for his steel drum, took it to this guy and he said, well, what's the name of your band? <laughs> <laughs> And that was the rest of its history. So that's we, a hell
0: of a way to get busted, man.
1: Oh, tell me about <laughs> it. It's like, walk right into the fire, white hocha.
0: Yeah, that's, wow, that's pretty funny. Yeah, Stars on the Water. I, I was like, uh, it's funny because I grew up in Arkansas. I've lived in Texas now for almost 12 years. But at the time, I was like, um I I went back and looked up today when George Strait covered it. Because for whatever reason in my head, I think of it as a George Strait song, even though yeah, everybody
1: uh, does. Rodney Crowell wrote Buffett,
0: it. Yeah, Rodney Crowell did it, you know, almost twenty years before uh right. and so did Buffett, way before uh George Strait ever covered it. But uh, I was like, Man, stars in the water, why is these people from California using a George Strait song for their name? <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is, you know, like 2004, 2005, I'm thinking this, so. <laughs>
1: well, get this. I, I learned um, Slow Boat to China thinking that it was a Jimmy Buffett song. I had no clue at all. And, I mean, it was a song <laughs> out of the 30s. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm giving Jimmy Buffett all his credit, and he didn't even get it. He didn't even deserve it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's like, a, you know, as a Texas guy, uh, um, Guy Clark,
1: you know. Oh, uh, favorites. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely uh, love
0: you have all these, and, of course, all these people in Texas think LA Freeway is a Jerry Jeff song. I'm like, no, it's Guy uh, Clark. Did oh, you go no. to Florida and they're all like, it's a Jim Morris song, and we're like, no, it's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, he used to do a song. Uh, Sunny Jim used to do a song. Uh, I don't know. He probably still does it. Called Awo Me. and yep. um, uh, no, that's not it. It's um, let's talk dirty in Hawaii. And I'm yeah. sorry, it's not Sunny yeah. Jim. It's Jim Morris covered it. Yeah, and and everybody used to think that he did that song, and it was it's a John Bryan tune. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> yeah. but i think that was one of the three uh cover songs that he recorded you know it's like jim morris was just a monster writer absolute he, monster writer
0: he was for sure so speaking of writing stars in the water i guess when mike was in the band with you that's about as deep as into writing and recording original music as you've ever really gotten huh
1: well i did a solo effort here about five six years ago mm-hmm. and i have uh, I think 10 songs on it that, I you know, it's, it's stuff that I've written and um, just, to, just to bring it out, dust the, you know, dust it off and see what it sounded like. And a, a friend of mine owns a recording studio. So, I mean, it was me and the guitar and that's basically it. And yeah. there was, there was no band or anything like that. Uh, I just wanted to see how it would work. And then I did a live recording at um, a venue that I work at called Desi's Bar and Grill. And it, she's had me working there for 21 years now. Uh, every it used to be every Wednesday and then I switched to Tuesdays and of course once a month the San Diego Parrothead Club has their business meeting there and that's you know everybody comes down there and they just that's where they get to uh, sit in and uh, that's another thing that was good about Desi's was the fact that that she could um, uh, people could come in and I encourage folks to sit in with me all the time you know that's that's bottom line. I, I if, if you've got a guitar and you're any good, and that's what I'll ask people. So, are you any good? And if they say, well, and I say, okay, let's practice first. Let's try it out on the break <laughs> first and see what happens, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I don't take a break. But, you know, but for the <laughs> most part, um, I mean, I've had, you know, Hugo's come down, uh, Rob Mel, Charlie Imes uh, had um, Tom and Michelle Becker kid up. There's a, a, a home, a house concert venue down here called Casa Tortuga.
0: Yes. And
1: uh, there's actually, there's two or three down here, but Costa Tortuga is probably the most known of the three or four that we have here. And whenever they have somebody who comes in uh, to play at their house, they usually bring them over to Desi's on Tuesday night with me and they have them sit in. Um, Keith Sykes and I did a show up at uh, Desi's one night. Uh, He was another guy that just um, blew my mind. He was at uh, Migration one year and no, sorry, it was Fins of the West and nobody was paying attention to him. I couldn't believe it. I mean, here's this, you know, famous guy and, and everybody's talking over him. And I thought, yeah, I, I was yelling, shut up because <laughs> I wanted everyone <laughs> to listen, you know, like that went anywhere. But, um, so, uh, that's, uh, you that's know, one of the fun things I, I've had more fingers in the pots of, of enter- musicians and entertainers, uh, getting people started in, in the business uh, or getting wanting to be, you know, uh, be a musician. And, uh, I, I'm, it's been fun watching them mature and, and become great entertainers. Brian Fields and, and Mishad, if you've seen them, they do the, um, I think. They're in Key the, West now. Right. They were yeah. from Albuquerque. Uh, Brian was this timid guy that I, I could get him up and play maybe one or two songs with me. And that was it. And I used to play over there, like, uh, I don't know, three or four years for their parties, their uh, Albuquerque Paradise Club party. And um he'd get up and he'd sing with me. And now, you know, he and Michelle are are just they're 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 taking off, they're going crazy with it, which is fun to see. I don't know if you've ever run across a guy named Doug Rassler. Um, plays with the, I think it's the Iowa oh, uh, Compass Rose band.
0: Com- yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I I worked I worked with him uh in Iowa a couple of years ago. It's okay, Ballard,
1: yeah. Doug, um when they used to have the Isle of Iowa f- uh festival, and then they spelled the PHI PHE, of course. Mm-hmm. Um when they first started the Isle of Iowa Parrot Hit Club, uh, Don and Deanna Stegle had seen us at um Fins to the West and asked us to come out to um Cedar Rapids and play. They were gonna start a, they were gonna have a party and they wanted us to go play for it. And so um we were there for their first annual and I think we were there for like five years after that or wow. four years after that. And, uh, it, it was fun. And, and, um, Doug was the same kind of thing. You know, it's like, um, they had uh, the first party was in this huge, uh, it was renovated, um, bowling alley. And, uh, he was wearing this chicken suit and it, I, I heard him singing a couple songs before, uh, while we were playing. And so we did, um, I, it was either Finn's or I think it was one particular harbor actually. And I got him up on stage with his chicken suit on and he sang, <laughs> he sang with us. It was great. It was absolutely great. And, and now he's you know, taken off and become this uh, real good musician with the bands that he's in too, which is fun. I mean, it's, it's fun to see.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, you know, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because these guys, uh, you know, especially Carwin who I'm pretty good buddies with, but you know, Rob Mel and, and Gary Siler and all these people, the west coast really talk about you and i think look up to you you're kind of like the godfather of that whole west coast (laughs) trop rock scene you know uh even even rob hill who i don't think you and rob have probably crossed paths much
1: oh we know each other though
0: yeah like he talks about you I mean and and he's not a lot you know he's only been in the game for five or six years with the trop rock Mm -hmm. world but uh but it's just very interesting to me that that all these people that uh that you've touched and who look up to you um but but you it, you know, and you just talked about going to Iowa. So you're proving me wrong. I'm like, you know, we don't see a lot of you over here. We don't hear a lot about you. Uh, and, and I'm almost like, was that a conscious choice at some point for you to kind of get off the road and not travel a lot. You no, know,
1: I've kind of become an afterthought, but you know what? It's a changing of the guard, John. That's the whole thing. Um, it, it's that whole new regime of musicians that are coming in. I mean, you've got people who are monster players and singers and, and i couldn't hold a candle to most of them uh which is another thing too i mean everybody has gotten to this thing now where you know the original music is is pretty much what their uh platform is and that's that's what they perform with and and for me i get up i mean um i saw this this reared its ugly head to me when i was at that um uh lake of the ozarks party and um I had a bunch of backing tracks and stuff that uh, for songs that people don't know, but it was for me and my pad wouldn't work. So I had to do a bunch of stuff, just, you know, Uh, solo, just me and the guitar. And so that really kind of, it it showed me that how much I don't know about what's going on. I played a bunch of original songs, but it wasn't stuff that was things that people would kind of listen to. And, and I was an unknown at that time too. I mean, because I, even though I kind of was on the, Know, ground floor when this whole thing started um i went away from it and it, like i said this whole other group of people came in and there I, I mean i'd much rather watch them than i would me <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, that's how it boils down to so you know it and and i i, I applaud that i really do um as far as this whole um wanting not wanting to, to be in the limelight of it I, i've i've had my run i really have i've yeah. had you know at least 20 good years of of being with this parrot head family and uh and it's been fun to watch the new kids come in and, and it's not so much a godfather as a grandfather you know okay <laughs> um, that's apologies. that's
0: brent burns now that's brent burns don't take oh Brent's is it time.
1: Okay. <laughs> 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 i like that that's good uh, brent yeah okay yeah, yeah. that's that's a, that's perfect that's donnie uh,
0: donnie bestowed jerry diaz with the title of godfather of trap rock a few years ago and we were all like well what does that make brent and he goes the, the grandfather
1: <laughs> <The> father <laughs> that's funny yeah. but i
0: but i think you know uh, just from hearing other people talk that calling you the godfather of west coast trap rock would be very mm. a very fair statement because i know well, a lot of these people talk very
1: highly about you so bless their hearts and and i i i they they put the bar way too high, you know, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, but, you know, uh, whether I'm worthy of it or not um, it, it's uh, I appreciate it. Uh, but I've just, I've been there for people when they've needed some help or when they've needed to go longer. Uh, I mean, a lot of the clubs here in Southern California where uh, I helped them, you know, get in touch with PHIP. Um, in fact, the uh, Las Vegas club, when it got started uh, Tommy's wife called me and, and she wanted to know how to do it. And so I, I told her, you know, well this is what you do and is these are the people you call and you talk to them. Uh so, you know, I've had that responsibility uh, and it's been fun. If anything it's been fun. Oh. You good?
0: Scared the hell out of me there.
1: Is that thunder?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was light like I saw the lightning over here and then thunder. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, uh, 80 degrees here yesterday. I, I live about 10 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. So it was 80 oh degrees here yesterday. And that cold front is hitting us. And,
1: oh, yeah, wow. So, yeah, yeah. When they clash, you, that's yeah. You mm. look out batting down the hatches, kids
0: All right, back to the regularly scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how involved were you? I know you played fence to the West, uh, you know, but how involved were you in helping get getting fins off the ground. I know that was a big focus, uh, the Ferrelli's and the, the uh, Murray's uh, friends of mine from way back when, how involved were you with fence of the West when it got off the ground?
1: Um, I was the first musician they came to, uh, we were at a party somewhere and, um, Oh, I know what it was. I think it was actually migration when it was over in long beach and Pete, uh, Pete Farley, Jim Hill and, um, uh, Doug Murray. And, um, uh, Janice, and I can't think of Janice's last name. Um, She was the uh, manager at the Avi Resort in uh, Laughlin, Nevada. And she was part of of this circle. And she wanted to bring this kind of an event over to uh, their place. And that's kind of how it got started. She. She kind of walked me down. The, it was funny because we finished playing and, and and I'm walking with her down this uh, corridor and she goes, what do you think about this? And then she started telling me about, you know, and, and the first thing I said was, are you going to pay to have all these musicians come out to your place? <laughs> uh, you know, cause I mean, that, that was the beauty of San Diego is that we've got so many musicians here that they can have the anniversary party. They don't need to fly people in yeah. you know, there's there's, uh, you know, 10 great acts here, plus a bunch of other stuff that's not J- uh, Parrothead related that they can bring in. Um, so that's you know one of the beauties of, of uh, how the San Diego Parrothead Club gets so much money uh, for their charities because they don't have to pay the bands that much. Um, but back to this whole thing, um, she asked me what I thought about, and I started talking to her about it. And then uh, Jim Hill and Pete Frawley came over, and the four of us were sitting there talking. And I said, you know, I'm game. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd love to see how it would work. And and so that was pretty much the beginnings of uh, Fins of the West. And, of course, it's it's evolved now. It's it's gotten from um, where it was at the Obby Resort, in the, the, which was uh, Laughlin over to – actually moved it to Laughlin. Uh, the Obby was south of, of Laughlin between uh, – I think it was between Laughlin and Blight. And then um, – they moved it to Laughlin and there was a couple places there they had it and it just wasn't working. The, the, uh, venues weren't, ha- I don't know if they weren't happy or whatever it was, but they, they just weren't giving us the the benefits that we needed. Like right. what, what Avi did, you know, the, the considerations, I should say that, that they needed and they took it up to uh, mesquite and to a place called the Hacienda. And it just, it flew. I mean, it took off. I mean, it, it, there's, there's wings bigger than you can even imagine now that are underneath this event.
0: Yeah. I haven't been out to fins in a long time, but I need, I need to get, get back out there sometime soon. Cause I think uh, I went twice when it was at the obby and, and that was a cool place. Uh, you yeah, know, but, but I think what I always heard was the casinos they expected, Oh, you're bringing 500 people. So they had a number of amount of money in their heads. They were going to make off gambling, not right. realizing that people weren't coming to gamble. They were coming to yeah. hang out with their friends and listen to music, you know? So yeah.
1: And donate to charities
0: right yeah not not the casino owner charity either the real yeah. charity so
1: <laughs>
0: well you know jerry i want to say this I, I think that you should not write yourself off as far as the the bigger events uh, because mm-hmm. donnie uh, i think of myself as an event person really um you know I, i'm a stage manager for party girl i worked with uh cool. the, sur- the surf ballroom event a few years ago uh, i worked with tom mm-hmm. and coley on the luau and i think there's a you know yeah people you know nowadays the original music is driving all this um but i think there's still a a place for a good high energy cover band to come in at nine o'clock at night and kick the roof off things you know so yeah we've been known to do that sit there and (laughs) listen to the you know listen to the original music and kind of build all day and then you know about the time people get too drunk to pay attention to the original (laughs) stuff drop a party band on them
1: they need something familiar
0: (laughs) yes exactly so right well, man, I appreciate you talking to me. I have a, well, uh, I, I have some rapid fire questions for you. If that I ask everybody, if you're game for that, so
1: okay. You're, well, you're probably going to hit a stone wall with me, but go right ahead. <laughs> okay, this
0: this first one, I think you can handle this. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song?
1: Uh, I have found me a home. Nice. Yeah, that was that. In fact, the first time I saw Buffett, um, he said that no matter where I go, I'm at home because I have my music with me, and then he played that song. That's what really got me involved with him.
0: There you go. That's a good story. 1972, right? You said?
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh,
0: okay. Favorite song by an independent trap rock artist?
1: Oh, God. There's so many. Um, you can throw out a couple. So. Uh, okay. Well, um, probably um, either Scars or um, Ring the Bells by Hugo. Uh, either one of those I, they're like two of my favorite songs of his um and and uh, that you know i i am not versed enough at, at everybody else's bob's got a bunch of really great songs i don't know titles of the songs that's my problem <laughs> um you know I, and and uh, bob carver's got a bunch of good stuff uh, donnie brewer's got amazing things eric erdman's come up with some uh just phenomenal writing things and um i just saw where uh, Coley is going to start co-writing with Aubrey Ouellette also and she's doing something with I think Erica Sunshine Lee yes Yeah. so, so probably Hugo I, I you know it would be one of Hugo's songs all right
0: Hugo you know at some point I, I've kicked around the idea of uh doing an episode focused on Jim Morris that would bring mm-hmm. in like Sonny Jim and two or three people to talk about Jim Morris because unfortunately mm-hmm. he's not here I might have to do that idea with Hugo as well
1: you know it wouldn't be a bad idea and um I don't know if Jeff Pike is on your radar or not, but he and, and Hugo did a, uh, we're talking about Hugo Duarte in case anybody needs right. to know what's going on. Um, he and uh, Jeff Pike did a tour uh, before he passed, like a couple years uh, going up into the, the new England area and back down, you know, from yeah. Georgia and up. In, the frozen so gringos, the frozen gringos actually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I did. Uh, yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that. And, um, but um he'd be a great person that you should pick his brain about. If you do anything with Hugo.
0: Okay. I will, I will remember that when I get ready to do that. So, okay. All right. Back to rapid fire. I, uh, okay. I know that you are not a drinker. So what is your non-alcoholic beverage of choice?
1: Just water. Usually um, what I do, uh, usually when I play any events or um, if I'm sorry, if, venues that I play, um, I take uh, because they're restaurants, I'll take a big glass and fill it up with ice and I'll pour uh, coffee over it until it gets to the point where it's melted the coffee and then I'll fill it up with ice, uh, for the ice that's melted. And then I just drink that all night long. So that, probably iced coffee.
0: How do you get wound down to go to bed?
1: Uh, I stopped drinking around eight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All
0: right. What is a book that uh, you enjoy reading and you think everyone else should go check out?
1: Oh, I, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is war and peace. It's <laughs> <that's> a great <laughs> book, but uh, you, um, I don't know. There's a song, I have a, a book here that it's, it's really good. It's called writing better lyrics by Pat Pattinson. Um, and, and he's a teacher that was out of the Berkeley school of music and a great, a great writing uh, on how to write lyrics and wonderful ideas. It just lays this wonderful template out for you to be able to do things um in fact i i was just I, I just looked at that the other day uh brought it out i think i need to start reading this again because the ideas that he gives me uh just spurn more music
0: hmm so it's not too late maybe yeah. maybe you got some stuff you, know, you you talked about that acoustic album you did uh yeah where where can people find that because i i did not find like i checked your website i i couldn't find anything
1: it it's in the drawer in my garage right now <laughs>
0: oh man
1: i'll send you one
0: <laughs> send me one yeah i'd like to okay. hear that so all right but be careful because i might turn around and give it to eric Babbin. so
1: you know <laughs> that's okay that would that, be good
0: <laughs> you know i uh i called eb too uh because i know he's known you for a long time right uh but carwin gave me better stories than him so i didn't use any, any of his stuff so <laughs> okay <laughs> all right back to rapid fire uh what is your favorite beach to visit and hang out at
1: I don't get to be able to get there long enough. I don't get there enough guy. Sounds like a Jimmy Buffett song. Um, But there's a beach in Maui called McKenna, and it is just probably the best beach you'll ever run across beauty wise. As far as beaches that I hang out at anywhere on the San Diego coastline, the beaches here are phenomenal. I mean, I used to love to surf. I I don't body surf anymore, but uh, anywhere from uh, Imperial beach, on up to uh, San Clemente. The beaches here are just phenomenal.
0: All righty. What is your favorite full-blown Buffett album, full album?
1: Uh, Does um, Beaches, Bars, Ballads, and Boats count?
0: i guess it counts but that's 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 four yeah that's that's cheating that's taking
1: the easy way out that that's i know that's all the albums okay pick Um, pick one one of those one of those four well actually you know i have one the only album that i ever listened to that i listened to it through the whole the very first time and liked every song because i mean there were songs that had to grow on me on on every album that buffett's written Mm -hmm. but the only album that i had that uh that didn't happen to where every song was a hit for me was changes in latitudes
0: that was the you know i think most people kind of worship a1a but changes yeah. in latitudes is the one that probably made him made the next 40 years work so
1: yeah margaritaville
0: mm-hmm. and change and changes in latitudes and uh, yeah yeah so that's a good one all right here's the big question Oh. Uh, we're we're gonna build a Mount Rushmore of independent trap rock artists. What four mm. people are you gonna put on that Mount Rushmore
1: of trap rock artists? Yes, I mean the musicians people.
0: Yes, musicians, songwriters. Who?
1: Wow. Okay. Well, Hugo Duarte would have to be one of them because I mean, yeah, he's just he's just one of those kinds of people. Um. God, John, you caught me off guard here. Uh, Scott Nickerson. Would probably be, but he's not a musician. Well, he is a musician. In fact, he was with the group A One A. He and, and uh Jeff Pike. Yep. So Scott Nickerson, um I have to say Jerry Diaz, only because he's just such an influential person. And and as far as presidential heads heads on a mountain are concerned, his <laughs> his would have to be there. Um, and then gosh, I'd have to throw a dart and see who it hit. As far as the fourth head would be, uh. The always gets people. Yeah. Uh, You know, well, I'm trying to think in terms of people that have done things for the trop rock music scene that made a name for us and put us out there. And probably Jim Morris would be that fourth head because he, he did so much and, and they even had a a event up in the Northwest that was named after his, one of his songs, laid back attack,
0: laid back attack. Yeah. So uh, we're going to add one more face to, to your Mount Rushmore. This is going to be a non-musician member of the community. Radio person, event person, just a fan. Non- non-musician like that. kind of thing? Non-musician.
1: Oh, um, wow. There's another throw it to heart. God, there's so many people. I, I've got, you know, t- 30 years worth of stuff that I can tell you about. Um Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, someone who comes to my mind is, is, especially with the, um, the internet things is, uh, Steve Huntington. He got things going, uh, in- incredibly. So in fact, he did the very first, we were there when he did the very first, um, uh, broadcast from, uh, meeting of the minds and, uh, just opened up the door, the floodgates for internet radio, uh, yeah. for people to get on it. So, uh, Probably Steve Huntington. Uh, there's a, a person here in San Diego who is just, she's such an advocate for trop Rock and, and Parrot Heads, a woman named Sheila Jorgensen. Yes. And she, you know, she would probably be either her or Steve, you know, then and that's, I know that's quite a thrill, <laughs> you know, yeah. but... Um,
0: Steve's on my list of future people I want to get on the show to talk to you sooner or later because okay. he has done a whole lot for sure.
1: Yeah, he, uh, phenomenal guy. I, I I loved working with him and and he he hung on with me for a couple of years after that and then we just fell apart. You know, I mean we we grew apart. I mean not fell apart, but we grew yeah. apart. So,
0: yeah. well Jerry Gontang, I thank you very much for for taking some time to talk to me and, and sure. catch Deandre's, us up on the. You. The uh, the start of trop rock on the west coast. So yeah, well,
1: hopefully this will, you know, want people to get into it and, and see what this whole uh, fan base thing is about. Because I mean, it is it's it's a great way for people to experience this genre of music, and, and being a trop rock artist is kind of nice. I mean, uh, thank you. I you know I don't even know where the term came from. To be honest with you, I, I, I first time I ever heard it was with um, Tom and Michelle Becker. Uh, after they got Margarita Mafia going, they needed a new name for their genre, and, right. and I, I think Trop Rock came along, and that's what they lobbied for with CD Baby and a bunch of other uh, uh, radio, uh record companies to mm-hmm. get a genre going for it.
0: Yeah, I think the term had been out there, you know, I think they had a list of a lot of different names, and right. Trop Rock was the one they picked out of it. Michelle yeah. was my my last episode was with Michelle, so we oh, talked cool. about that affair
1: cool well so, you know yeah. what let me tell you this uh if, if people are listening to this uh, and i they're probably avid listeners to you but uh, i'm going to promote this i I'll f- I'll promote you also because i i love what you're doing with your your um podcasts and this is just a phenomenal thing opening up the world to, to the trop rock people thank you very much for you know wanting to do this well, with people
0: thank you and I, I you know it's been fun uh and you're you're one of the people really uh you know, I I've been doing this, uh, I'm turned 40 this summer and, uh, I've been doing this parrothead trap rock thing basically my entire adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, just in that time, people like you, that, that were, you know, w- well known nationally when I got into it, that aren't as well known now, it, even somebody like Brent, you know, it's just not like you said, c- things come and go in cycles. So, uh, I realized, you know, that we've lost Jim Morris, we've lost DJ Jeff and some people that, uh, it's like, you know, we need to try to document some of these stories as hmm. as the, the artist base and the fan base gets older. And that was the best to go. Two goals is one, to, to document some things, and two is to maybe – remind some of the newer fans about the old guard like you so yeah
1: well you know there's a lot of us out there still i mean that you look at the majority of the people who are at jimmy buffett concerts and and they're 55 and older (laughs) yes they are (laughs) and we're still going strong
0: it's like i tell people i've been doing this my entire adult life and i'm usually still the baby you know when i show up at stuff
1: (laughs) well you are a kid (laughs) (laughs) you are a kid oh
0: well jerry i appreciate it man have a good one
1: all right i will keep in touch my friend i will okay